Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. Today, we've got a complete preview of the top 15 elections we're watching on November 8th, including races for the U.S. Senate, House, governors, other state executives, state Supreme Court judgeships, state legislatures, and mayor. Joining me now is the managing editor of our marquee elections team, Corey Ucolito. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Corey. This is your first time on the podcast, so welcome. I figured we'd start by having you explain your Ballotpedia origin story. How did you end up working for Ballotpedia? Yeah, sure. So I started at Ballotpedia in September-ish of 2016, so just a few months before the 2016 election. And I started on managing our fact-checking desk at the time. So at the time, we published fact-checks of statements made by politicians, campaign committees, things like that. We don't publish as many fact-checks anymore. But in 2018, I moved over to what we now call our marquee team. And so we published a lot of our newsletters. We cover a lot of the the highest-profile elections and things like that. So yeah, I've been doing on, on this team, managing a team of writers since 2018. Actually, late 2017. The 2018 elections were our first that we covered, but we did start in late 2017. Awesome. As you're all well aware of, this is our busiest time of the year. With less than two weeks left until the midterms, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter. I wanted to have you on today to talk about the races we've got our eye on here in the home stretch. So can you explain our whole election scope and then how our editorial team landed on just 15 races to highlight for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So we cover across the entire organization, all federal offices and elections, all state elections and offices, and then local elections, primarily in the the 100 largest cities in the country, as well as all of the state capitals that are not in the 100 largest cities in the country. So what that means is we're covering any jurisdiction that overlaps with those cities. Additionally, we cover the 200 largest school districts. That's expanding too. This year, we've added full coverage of every election on the ballot in several states. So obviously, there's a lot of elections taking place in that. I wish I had the number in, on hand in that scope, but we wanted to pick 15. And this is the 15th year of Ballotpedia's existence. So that kind of sounded like a good round number to, to select. And so we, we picked them based on past election results, unique election-specific circumstances, race ratings. And we wanted a mix of federal, state, and local races. So really, it's, it's, a, it's a selection of interesting races. Um, It's not a definitive list of the most competitive. Each is kind of a good representative of the type of election it is, whether it's for Congress, whether it's for a state executive or a local office, something like that. Yeah, I'm excited to work our way through it. To do that, I figured it'd make the most sense to group these races by office. And I'd like to start with the U.S. Senate. So 34 of the 100 seats in the U.S. Senate are up for regular election, 14 held by Democrats and 21 held by Republicans. I should note quickly that the U.S. Senate is also featuring two special elections this midterm season. One will be held to fill the final four years of Oklahoma Republican Senator Jim Inhofe's term. His term began in 2021. Inhofe announced his resignation effective January 3rd, 2023. The other will be held to fill the final weeks of the six-year term that Kamala Harris was elected to in 2016. So to start, I figured we'd start with Arizona. Who's running there? Yep. So this is the Arizona Senate election. Incumbent is Mark Kelly. He's running against Blake Masters and Mark Victor, a libertarian. Blake Masters is a Republican. Before joining Congress, Kelly was a U.S. Navy pilot and a NASA astronaut. Um, He's married to Gabby Giffords. Blake Masters is a venture capitalist. He served as the COO of Teal Capital. Peter Thiel is a tech guy and he's been getting involved in politics. So he's the COO of Thiel Capital from 2018 to 2022. Three independent election forecasters have pretty consistently rated this race a toss up. It's close in the polls. Kelly took office in December 2020. He won a special election defeating Senator Martha McSally. And that special election, I think, was to fill the seat, the remaining term of Senator John McCain's seat. 
And Kelly won that 51.2% to 48.8%. So pretty close. That year, Kirsten Cinema defeated McSally for the other Senate seat, 50.0 even to 47.6. So close history in the Senate races there. And the two most recent presidential elections in Arizona were also close. Biden carried the state over Trump 49.4 to 49.1%. And Trump won the state 48.7 to 45.1 in 2016. So it went from Trump to Biden, but uh, by 0.3 percentage points in that election. Yeah, Arizona used to be my home state, so I'm very interested to see what will happen here. How about this election in Georgia between the Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock, Republican Herschel Walker, and Libertarian Chase Oliver? Warnock defeated Republican Kelly Loeffler in a runoff election on January 5th, 2021, by a margin of 51 to 49 percent. Can you give us some background on this race? Yeah, sure. Warnock is the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. Martin Luther King also served as pastor. Herschel Walker is a Hall of Fame professional football player. He attended the University of Georgia, played in the NFL, and owned two food supply businesses since then. Warnock and John Ossoff became the first Democrats to represent Georgia in the U.S. Senate since 2005, when they won runoff elections in January 2019, so as part of the 2018 elections. It was a very close race, both of those. And in Georgia, I think the really important thing to note is that a general election will advance to a runoff if not either of the top two finishers receives more than 50% of the vote. So there is a libertarian candidate in the race. So it's certainly possible that this proceeds to a runoff. And with everything else going on, control of the Senate could, again, hinge depending on how many other seats flip. If other seats flip, what the outcomes are, you know, control of the Senate could depend again on a Georgia runoff. Very interesting. Let's talk about two Senate seats Republicans are defending in states that were won by President Joe Biden in 2020. And that's in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. So in Pennsylvania, incumbent Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican who was first selected in 2010, is not seeking re-election. What's the story there? John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz and six other candidates are running. The past two presidential elections were decided by less than two percentage points. And we're recording this on Wednesday. And so just last night, there was a the first and I think only debate between Fetterman and Oz. So this has been a, a very close state in statewide elections. There's also a gubernatorial election. So this will be one of the most interesting to watch. We've seen a lot of opining about this race specifically, as well as the Warnock and Walker race in Georgia, mainly because of the implications for control of the Senate. CBS News said that the Senate race in Pennsylvania is a crucial battleground for both parties. Obviously, Democrats see it as a possible pickup with GOP Senator Pat Toomey retiring. And Roll Call said about the seat in Pennsylvania that keeping the seat in Republican hands is an important part of the party's effort to flip control of the 50-50 Senate. Turning to a similar situation in Wisconsin, incumbent U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican who was also first elected in 2010, will look to defend his seat against challengers Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes and writing candidate Scott Aubert of the American Independent Party. Uh, this is another state that featured tight presidential elections in recent memory. How might that factor into this one? Yeah, at the start of the 2022 election cycle, Inside Elections called this a battleground Republican state. Um, but I know race ratings have fluctuated over the course of the entire cycle. Wisconsin is one of two states holding a U.S. Senate election in 2022 with a Republican incumbent that Joe Biden carried in the 2020 presidential election. So Biden won Wisconsin, but Ron Johnson, a Republican, is the incumbent who's running for re-election. Wisconsin is also just one of six states with one Democratic and one Republican U.S. Senator. So it has a history of electing senators from both parties. Excellent. There are certainly plenty of interesting races to watch in the Senate. Uh, let's move on to the House. Every seat, all 435 of the U.S. representatives are up for election. As a result of the 2020 elections, Democrats maintained a majority in the U.S. House, 220 seats to Republicans, 213. As of October 2022, Democrats hold a 220 to 212 advantage in the U.S. House with three vacancies. Republicans need to gain a net of five districts to win a majority in the chamber. 
The 2022 election will also be the first to take place following apportionment and redistricting after the 2020 census. So how did that affect the landscape of representatives? Yeah, so six states gained seats, Texas, Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon, and seven states lost seats, California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. So a little bit of shuffling around there. And we've got two races we're watching in the U.S. House on our top 15 list in Colorado and New Hampshire. We're taking these alphabetically. So let's start in Colorado's 8th congressional district. This group of elections is obviously very hard to choose from. All 435 seats are up. So picking just two is really tough. But I think these are really interesting elections. So Colorado's 8th is located north of Denver and includes parts of Adams, Larimer, and Weld counties. And it's one of seven new congressional districts created after the census. So seven new states or seven states gained congressional seats. So that means seven new districts um, that weren't previously represented. Bloomberg government Zach Cohen wrote that the diversity and competitiveness of Colorado's new 8th district has it primed to serve as a key house race in congressional midterms this year and beyond. Yadira Caraveo, Barbara Kirkmeyer, and three others are running in that election. And how about over in New Hampshire's first congressional district? It was one of 31 U.S. House districts that Donald Trump won in the 2016 presidential election and a Democratic candidate won in the 2018 midterm elections. Yeah, so this district has flipped back and forth a lot over the years. Incumbent Chris Pappas is a Democrat. Caroline Levitt is a Republican running in the general election. From 2010 to 2016, the first district switched between Democrat and Republican control four times between just two candidates, Carol Shea Porter, a Democrat, and Frank Gwinter, the Republican. A history of back and forth, and again, a, a toss-up competitive race. Moving from the federal to the state level, let's take a look at the four races we're watching for state governors. There are 36 gubernatorial seats on the ballot in 2022, and of those 36, 20 states had Republican governors and 16 states had Democratic governors. Let's return back to Arizona again. Republican Governor Doug Ducey is not able to run for re-election due to term limits. Who is running to replace him? Secretary of State Katie Hobbs is the Democratic nominee. Carrie Lake is the Republican nominee. And Barry Hess and William Pounds are the Libertarian and Independent Green Party candidates. Hobbs was a member of the state Senate from 2013 to 2019 and a member of the state House from 2011 to 2013 before she was elected Secretary of State. Carrie Lake is a former news anchor for Fox 10 News in Phoenix there for, for many years, I think. So someone who has previously been elected to statewide office in the Secretary of State versus someone running in their, uh, their first political campaign. Now, over in Kansas, the governor's race there is the only governorship Democrats are defending in 2022 in a state that Donald Trump won in 2020. Who is Democratic incumbent Laura Kelly running against? Derek Schmidt is the Republican nominee, Seth Cordell, Libertarian, and Dennis Pyle is running as an independent. Cook Political Report, Sabato's Crystal Ball, and Inside Elections have all rated this a toss-up. Kelly was elected first in 2018. She beat Republican Chris Kobach by five percentage points. Kobach had, had won the Republican primary by just 343 votes that year, one-tenth of a percentage point. So before becoming governor, Kelly was in the Kansas State Senate from 2005 to 2019. And we also named the Nevada governor's race as notable. Why is that? There's an incumbent running, Steve Sislak, running against Joe Lombardo, the Republican, uh, Edward Bridges, an independent, and Brandon Davis, a libertarian. Sislak was first elected in 2018 after serving on the Clark County Commission and the Nevada Board of Regents. Lombardo was in the U.S. Army, Army Reserve, and the National Guard, and was a police officer in Las Vegas before being elected Clark County Sheriff in 2014. Nevada has a history of close presidential elections. Uh, Joe Biden carried Nevada over Donald Trump 50.1% to 47.7% in 2020. Hillary Clinton also won the state in 2016, 47.9% to 45.5%. And our last gubernatorial race we're watching closely is out in Oregon. Incumbent Democratic Governor Kate Brown is term limited and cannot run for re-election. Who is running to replace her? 
This is one of the most interesting elections. I know we're going alphabetically, but maybe this one should have been first. Tina Kotek is the Democratic nominee. Christine Drazen is a Republican nominee. And Betsy Johnson is an independent. Our Leon Noble is also running as a libertarian. But what's interesting here is that Kotek, Drazen, and Johnson are all former or current members of the state legislature. Johnson now running as an, as an independent is a former Democrat. So you have an interesting three-way race with people who have won political office before. Kyle Kondik of Sabado's Crystal Ball wrote, the state is hosting an unusual three-way race among a trio of women who are all recent members of the state legislature. The race sets up an unusual situation where the winner may not need to crack even 40%. Kate Brown, the term limited governor, beat Bueller 50 to 44 percent to win re-election in 2018. And the last time Oregon voted for a Republican presidential candidate was in 1984. And the last time for a Republican senator was in 2002. Yeah, so that's definitely a one to watch. We're about two thirds of the way down this list here. And in the interest of time, I like to group some of these remaining states together. And um, listeners are probably starting to notice some themes here. So I'm going to go back to Arizona to talk about the Arizona House of Representatives and their Secretary of State race. Katie Hobbs, we mentioned her before, the Democrat Secretary of State is running for governor. Um, So this is an open seat for Arizona Secretary of State. Adrian Fontes, the Democrat, and Mark Fincham, the Republican, are running to replace her. Fontes is an attorney who served in the U.S. Marine Corps and was the Maricopa County Recorder from 2016 to 2020. Fincham is a rancher, former police officer, and a software company executive who was elected a member of the Arizona House in 2015. As for the Arizona House of Representatives, all 60 seats are up for election. Republicans need to lose fewer than two seats to maintain control of the chamber. And Democrats need to win three net seats to flip and gain control of the chamber. Arizona has been a Republican trifecta since 2009, when Jan Brewer became governor. And Republicans have held both chambers of the state legislature since 1993. We're going to bounce around here a little bit, so bear with us. Let's stay in the state legislature territory and talk about Colorado's state Senate, where Democrats have a 21-14 majority, 17 seats are up for grabs, eight seats for the Democrats, and nine seats for the Republicans. Currently, the state of Colorado is a Democratic trifecta. It's been that since 2019. So if the Democratic Party loses no more than three seats in the Senate, nine seats in the House, and maintains control of the governorship, it will maintain its trifecta. But if the Republicans flip four or more seats in the state Senate, the Democrats will lose the trifecta. So possible for Democrats to hold and Republicans to break trifecta control there. We've got two more to go. The seats of three Ohio Supreme Court justices are up for partisan election. Republican justices Maureen O'Connor, Pat Fisher, and Pat DeWine. The court is currently made up of four Republican justices and three Democratic justices. What's interesting here is that this is the first Ohio Supreme Court election where candidates will be listed on the general election ballot with their party identification next to their name. These have previously been nonpartisan general elections. Politico's Zach Montalaro and Shia Kapos wrote that for the first time in the state, candidates will have party affiliation next to the name on the general election ballot. Previously, they were nominated by the parties, but party affiliation was not listed for the general election. And the race will be moved up the ballot to be grouped with other statewide office instead of being listed down below. So just the mechanics of um, how Ohio is voting for state Supreme Court justices are different. But similarly, like you said at the start, um, there are currently four Republican justices and three Democratic justices. So there's a very close division on that Supreme Court. And last but not least, let's talk about the Los Angeles race for mayor. We've covered this race before. Karen Bass and Rick Caruso are running in the nonpartisan general election to replace incumbent Eric Garcetti, who can't run again due to term limits. What's the story of this race up until this point? Yeah, the primary here was really interesting, which is why we probably covered it before. Karen Bass currently represents California's 37th congressional district, and she was in this California State Assembly from 2005 to 2010. 
Caruso is the founder and chief executive officer of a retail complex development company and has served on Los Angeles's Department of Water and Power Commission as the president of the Los Angeles Police Commission and on the USC Board of Trustees. The New York Times' Jennifer Medina wrote that the race, quote, has focused on voters' worries about public safety and homelessness in the nation's second largest city and said that it could, quote, become a test of whether voters this year favor an experienced politician who has spent nearly two decades in government or an outsider running on his business credentials. This is the first even-year election for Los Angeles mayor since the 2015 passage of Charter Amendment 1, which shifted city elections to even-numbered years beginning in 2020. Well, that concludes our list of top 15 elections to watch this midterm election. I want to thank you, Corey, for coming on. Hopefully, we can have you back after the elections and things slow down a bit. Thanks. Be glad to come back. Hey, everyone. This is Jeff Paolet, Ballotpedia's Editor-in-Chief. When we started Ballotpedia in 2006, our goal was to reach a few thousand political junkies a year with our balanced encyclopedic information. But thanks to the support of people like you, we now reach an audience of millions per year, from journalists and policymakers to everyday citizens researching their ballots. This is only possible because of donations from people like you, who share our belief that our democracy can become stronger by more voters knowing about the candidates and issues on their ballots. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more about how you can support Ballotpedia and learn more about how we put your tax-deductible gift to work. Welcome back to Footnote Facts with Paul Rader, everyone. We're going to do something a little different this time. There's this thing called an election just around the corner here. Don't know if you heard. So we're going to highlight some of the big things to know about this November 8th. Some of this already referenced by Victoria and my fellow Floridian Corey earlier. Unless you're listening to this episode after the election, in which case, wow, wasn't that a crazy election? Especially that one race and that candidate that did that thing. I mean, who saw that coming? And did you see today's trivia question and answer coming? That question being, how many of the 84 state Supreme Court seats up for election on November 8th are officially nonpartisan? I'll come back to this, but now it's time for some rapid fire stats. First off, let's give you some top line facts of what offices are at stake. Again, some of this referenced earlier. Up for election on November 8th, we have 35 U.S. Senate seats, one being that special election in Oklahoma for Jim Inhofe's seat, 36 governorships, some or all of 88 state legislative chambers for regular election, some or all of 88 state legislative chambers for regular election, then another nine state legislative seats for special elections, a few of which are in chambers that are not otherwise up for election, 84 state Supreme Court seats in 32 states, 132 ballot measures, 16 mayoral elections in the top 100 most populous cities, and 28 states with school board elections in the top 200 largest school districts. And then you have a lot of other state executive elections and countless local elections going on too, but there's too many of those to cover here. So let's peer deeper into the stats. What's the partisan balance look like for those categories? I even color-coded it in case I forget how to read. So the Republican Party has more seats to defend when it comes to U.S. Senate seats, governorships, and state legislative chambers. 21 Republican and 14 Democratic U.S. Senate seats are up as Republicans attempt a net gain of one seat to take back majority control. Meanwhile, there are 55 Republican-controlled and 32 Democratic-controlled state legislative chambers having elections. And then there is also the Alaska State House, which, while it has a Republican majority, it also has a power-sharing agreement because of a coalition featuring Democrats and a few independents and Republicans. And then there are 20 Republican and 16 Democratic governorships at stake as well, seven of those Democratic seats flipping from Republicans in the 2018 election. And then on the flip side, Democrats are defending more U.S. House seats and mayoral races in the top 100 most populous cities. There are 220 Democrats and 212 Republicans, along with three vacancies in the U.S. House. 
Uh, with the mayoral races, it's sort of tricky because some are nominally nonpartisan, but either the candidates themselves or the media have publicly identified those candidates as a member of a party. So by that measure, there are 10 Democratic, two Republican, and four nonpartisan or independent-controlled mayoral seats. But of course, while the partisan divide is important context, these offices all have varying chances of changing partisan control, if any chance at all. A few of these have been touched on previously and in previous episodes, but here's some potential flips to look out for. In state legislatures, we have both of Arizona's chambers, which currently have razor-thin Republican majorities, the aforementioned Alaska State House, and the Nevada Senate, which could potentially flip. For governor's races, we may see some real fireworks. Some of those seven seats that Democrats won from Republicans in 2018 might go back to being red. Oregon could possibly have its first Republican governor since 1987. And Democrats may take Republican governorships in the otherwise deep blue states of Maryland and Massachusetts. Democrats might also take Arizona's governorship this time around. We'll have to see on November 8th. And then finally, Cook Political Report, Sabato's Crystal Ball, and Inside Elections all currently rate as toss-ups the U.S. Senate seats of Nevada's Catherine Cortez Masto and Georgia's Raphael Warnock. Now, back to the trivia question. How many of the 84 state Supreme Court seats up for election on November 8th are officially nonpartisan? And that answer is 64. There's another 12 that are Republican and another 8 that are Democratic because States vary as to whether they are partisan or nonpartisan Supreme Court seats and how exactly they are voted for, if they're voted for at all by the public. So no more tomfoolery from me, not this time at least. Uh, award yourself however many points you want. And thanks again for listening to Footnote Facts. And now to Victoria to close out the show. Thanks, Paul. Like we said at the top of the show, less than two weeks separate us from the midterms, which makes now the perfect time to subscribe to our marquee newsletter, Ballotpedia's Daily Brew. Each and every weekday, wake up with three of our most read stories about the latest in local, state, and federal politics. To subscribe, go to Ballotpedia.org and find the email updates tab, or use the link in our show notes to sign up for the Daily Brew newsletter, or to check out our other newsletters. And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Thanks again to Corey and Paul for coming on the show with me today. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back in your podcast feed next Thursday afternoon with a final preview of the midterm elections. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at ballotpedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.